0: Hello listeners, I'm about to tell you about a new podcast I'm really excited about. It's called Captains, and it's hosted by Wales and British and Irish Lions rugby captain Sam Warburton. Here on Secret Leaders, we talk a lot about overcoming challenges, making tough decisions and how to succeed. Well, Sam is doing the same, but with elite sports people. Each week, Sam is joined by a famous captain from the sporting world where they compare notes, share stories about leadership and let us know what it's really like to wear the armband at the top level. Whether you're big into your sports or not, there's plenty of gems to be taken into your life and the tales they tell are incredible. I really recommend it. I'm about to play you part of Sam's chat with Ryder Cup winner and golfing legend Paul McGinley. Paul talks about how to get high performers who are used to excelling on their own to work together. How do you harness the different egos, expectations and differing styles of the team members while reinforcing the common goal? Paul explains exactly how to do this, plus some really useful leadership insights we can all take on board. If you want to hear more, hit the link in the episode description or search for Captains with Sam Warburton in your favourite podcast app.
1: Welcome to Captains with me, Sam Warburton. This is the podcast where each week I swap stories and compare notes and get some fascinating leadership insights from the biggest names in sport. And this week is a really special one. Ryder Cup winning captain Paul McGinley.
2: There's no correlation between the better the player, the better the captain. Captain is a completely different skill set. And in fact, you can nearly have the argument that the best players are generally not the best captains. I know I'm not the best golfer ever played the game, I know I'm not the best captain that ever captained, but I, I do feel like i moved it to a new level. Yes, you got to have the intensity, but you can't flip over into anxiety. When it flips over into anxiety, you got a problem.
1: So today on Captains, I'm joined by a man who's the envy to all professional sports people across the world because you can actually play golf to an extremely high level, is Paul McGinley. Paul, <laughs> pleasure to meet you and thank you so much for coming on.
2: I don't know about the word still uh, play <laughs> to that level, Sam. Uh, there's an old saying in golf, my, my mind is writing checks that my body can't cash uh, so. <laughs> but if i said to you now what would
1: you be pl- what would you be playing off not even like a, a top course what would well, you be sort of shooting the members, now?
2: the members put me off plus three around sunningdale so that's oh, kind of dear. my standard when we're playing oh, for money God, so. i can only, only dream <laughs> <laughs> i wish it was that good all the time no, because I'm, I'm awful but i mean
1: every sports person plays golf whether they play yeah. it well or not but it's just one of those things they do but anyway so just for maybe the minority of listeners who who don't no. Could you give us just a brief overview of the Ryder Cup?
2: Yeah, well, the Ryder Cup is a tournament nearly 100 years old. It was started by an old seed farmer from Britain, and it's the leading 12 players from Europe against the leading 12 players from America. It's played every second year, and yeah, it's one of the most watched and, and biggest sporting uh, events in the year. Uh, unusual in the individual sport that golf is, uh, to come together then as a team. So it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic.
1: You've won three times as a player and once as captain. What are the common denominators across those four victories as a player and as a captain?
2: Wow, that's a good question. And uh, yeah, I've done two as a vice captain as well. So I'm six for six. And uh, obviously the talent has got to be there for a start. And, you know, I call it a template. We can get into that a bit deeper in in terms of what worked for Europe and what was our DNA. And certainly when I became captain in 2014, looking over the previous Ryder Cups that I was involved in, I was, what I tried to do was go through everyone and pick out what had worked, uh, what had not worked and, and, you know, identify very much into words, what the uh, template was. So, I think talent more than anything else has to be there. You know, and we're lucky, I was certainly lucky to be part of uh, a, a great uh, surge in talent coming through uh, in Europe. We had uh, great teammates, as you well know, you're only as good as your teammates around you. And uh, and we were very well captained. I, I was very lucky that I learned a lot and played under and played with all the greats of European golf from, you know, Faldo, Lyle, Woosnam, Langer. Uh, Seve, you know, right up to the modern guys of McElroy, I've either played with or captained. But I've been lucky to be in that peak period of huge, unbelievable amount of success that we had in Europe. It's interesting, you said then you picked up
1: some of the, the good things and bad things. It's sort of like, you know, learning vicariously. You see good things, you see good traits, which you like from people, but you also see bad traits. Do you learn what not to do as much as you learn what to do when you had those earlier Ryder Cup experiences as a player?
2: Yeah, I think you take a bit from everything and it's not just in your own team, Sam. I mean, I learned a lot from America as well and, and what they were doing. They should have beaten us in all of these Ryder Cups. They were favourites in all of these Ryder Cups. These five experiences that I was involved in, America were the favourites each time and yet we managed to beat them. And, and I saw them making mistakes and, and it was whether it was the pairings, whether it was tactically, uh, whether it was not using data, whether it was a bit of arrogance and, you know, I just putting the players out and thinking, oh, we're too good for them when we beat them. Whether it was not respecting the fact that the dynamics dynamic In the Ryder Cup is very, very different than on an individual basis. So, a guy who's ranked two or three or four in the world, um, you know, that doesn't equate to playing 18 holes against a guy, you know. So, it's not apples with apples when it comes to a Ryder Cup. Sometimes you have a partner, sometimes you're on your own, and it's a sprint, it's over 18 holes. So, the dynamic is very, very different, and the, the, the psychology of play is very, very different, and the psychology and style of a player is very, very different. You know, I felt I had an edge certainly um, back in 2014 because I don't think America figured that out. I think they figured it out since. Yeah, it was certainly picking a team that was going to sit the exam that a Ryder Cup is, which is a very, very different exam. Just because 12-year players might be rated in the top 20 players in the world, that doesn't mean they're all going to be great Ryder Cup players because, as I say, the style of golf that's asked to play in a Ryder Cup is very, very different. So for, I was very much about uh, sitting the exam, preparing and sitting for the exam uh, of what a Ryder Cup match is.
1: So many people struggle to play golf, never mind at the, the in the pressure cooker with, with millions of people watching like a Ryder Cup. As a captain, what would be some
2: of the key traits from a mental perspective that you look for from your players? I like energy, Sam. I, I like sprinters, you know, Ian Poulter, to go back to him you know, there was a reason why he was a great Ryder Cup player. You know, he's got a big heart, we know that, but a lot of golfers have got big hearts. But he's an aggressive guy. He's always up. He's never on a down. He's can't wait. He's like a greyhound waiting to get out of the box. You know, Tiger Woods is not a greyhound. You know, Tiger Woods was a guy that was trained and measured to win over four rounds. He was very, very patient. Jack Nicklaus was the same. He talks about his greatest trait as a golfer was his ability to be patient. And they were always running marathons. They were trained to be marathon winners. And that's why they They won so many major championships and that's why they won so many, you know, the two greatest players that ever played the game is that was their mentality. That's what their training was. And that was very much their psychology when they played. So it it was difficult for both of them, I felt, to adapt to being Ryder Cup. And the start was really important, one of the things that statistics and I think I, I was the first uh, captain on either team to use statistics uh, in, in a professional manner. We had a statistic team uh, working behind me and uh, obviously it's a huge part of what it is now just like in all, analytics is a huge part of all sport, but I, I was the first captain to bring it to the Ryder Cup and it identified very, very clearly the importance of the first six holes in these 18 hole matches. Uh, they're the kind of things that I learned, you know, I was not a, a major winner myself, I had a very good record when it came to match play, an excellent record when I came to match play. In fact, better than I did when it came to stroke play and I understood momentum and I got it and I understood the importance of a shot I understood how to come out of the blocks quick and no matter who you're playing if you got one up on them you know, turn the tables on them very, very quickly then get the two up and keep putting that pressure on never give them a hole, never give them a shot and before you know it, the game is over and uh, I like that style of play it was it was good for my mentality it made me focus a lot clearer rather than the long-term kind of marathon sprinter uh, mindset that that sort of didn't come as easy to me i'm actually
1: loving this already obviously love the Ryder cup and i'm already getting um, a real big sense of emotion and passion from yourself and my, one of my questions are going to be say, like in traditional say rugby you know traditional sport where it's like very physically combative where you know speeches can be very emotional and you can't you do need to get yourself kind of um aroused emotionally but i always wonder with golf the Ryder Cup seems so emotional. When you're talking to the guys, are you quite an emotional speaker, or do you have to make sure golfers remain a level of composure and they can't spill over into too much emotion? How do you get that balance right, or
2: where do you pitch those speeches when you talk to the boys? That's a great question, Sam, and and, and this is where I think we slightly differ from uh, from your sport. You know, where you can go out and get rid of that emotion by giving somebody a hard shoulder or a hard tackle, and you know, you have to be built up and you have to be psychologically ready for that. Um, obviously, you're. Not hitting anybody in golf so it's a different mindset you know there's a bit of zen involved in being a good golfer you know i certainly again my experience of when i played my best golf it's almost like you're in an unconscious state and you're it's like driving a car and you you don't know what you're doing or how you're changing gears but you're doing it and that's what you do when you play your best golf and you play your worst golf when you're actually thinking of everything you do and where your swing is and what you're doing and you're you're caught up so the first thing was our team meetings were no longer than 10 minutes long and every evening was at nine o'clock and that was it Ten minutes and no more than that. The second thing was the importance of simplicity and clarity. Every player with all my, my indirect communication with them, in other words, not, not at a team meeting, was done on a one-to-one basis. Most of my captaining was done on a one-to-one basis because what I'm going to say to Rory McIlroy is going to be very, very different than what I'm going to say to Martin Keimer from Germany and what I'm going to say to Stephen Gallagher from Scotland and all different levels of players. So there's there's only so much you can say that's going to relate to everybody. And more than anything else, it was to play what, what, what we call you know a smile on our face. When I look back again over all of the great Ryder Cup teams that I was involved in, the common denominator there kept coming out was how much fun we had. You know, nobody was ever like up to here and really worried and <laughs> tense and oh my god and you know and I think the Americans were more affected than we were because they were pressured it on them because they were favourites they didn't deal with it so good. We were always you know the hunter not the hunted and it's a lot easier being the hunter and having a bit of fun and not expected to win and the expectation levels are not the same. So it's almost like an adventure, it's a voyage that we're all in this together and nobody's expecting us to win and and that kind of released us and 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 to play and I wanted to bring that into the table even though in 2014 when i was captain we were actually slight favorites i think that was the first time Europe were up wherever slight favorites playing at home um but i also i wanted to bring in that mentality of uh, being the hunter not the hunted uh, and to have fun in what we were doing and see this as an adventure and yes you got to have the intensity but you're absolutely right it can't flip over into anxiety when it flips over into anxiety you got a problem and again i learned that sam torrance was a brilliant captain just pitching that right you know I I I'd call him I had him as a vice captain uh, myself and he was the first captain I played under in Ryder Cups and you know I call him the happiest man in the room every time you saw Sam he had the beaming smile on his face at Ryder Cups you could see he loved it even if it was in the evening time having a glass of wine having a bit of crack the bit of banter all of that stuff it was really important that we had that dynamic going on and I cultivated that I, I, I purposely cultivated I had people in there vice captains that I picked that were going to bring that to the table there wasn't going to be too much intensity my captaincy was not going to be intense. It was about, you know, letting the guys prepare in their own individual ways. They are individual golfers. They've been trained since the age of 13 to be individuals. And I wasn't going to all of a sudden change that dynamic of what they were good at and what they trained to be uh, with with, oh no, this is the mentality you have to have. I kind of took what they were and let them kind of grow within... What they would normally do, which is, you know, a team within a team, basically, and not to over team it. And just because you're in a team now doesn't mean we always have to eat together and we always have to do everything together. And, you know, we're bonded at the hip now and we, you know, it's different in rugby. And this is where golf was different. We're coming from an individual sport. That individual mindset, I wanted to preserve. I didn't want to change it into a team. This is where there was a big difference from ride a cup to, you know, your sport and what you did, where it is very much you're relying on the guy on your shoulder. In golf, you're not really relying on the guy on your shoulder. And, and, uh, you know, that individual mindset that they have on a week-to-week basis, it was important to preserve and enhance and empower that. So that's why the meetings were no more than 10 minutes every night. And I said to the guys every evening, look, there's a buffet. It'll run from 5 30 and it'll finish at 10. So if you're Miguel Jimenez and you like a glass of wine and you want to come in at 10 o'clock and eat at 10 o'clock, because <laughs> that's what you do, the Spanish, the buffet will be there at 10. If you're Henrik Stenson and you're Swedish and you want to eat and you want to digest that and you want to get to the gym and you want to have a massage, you can do that too. This idea of all sitting down together and having team dinners and big long team meetings, no. You're individuals, and, and I'm going to empower you to be individuals this week. Of course, we are playing collectively as a team, but the mindset has got to be what you do on a week-to-week basis. We're not going to change things. This is about simplicity and clarity and not overcomplicating it. I
1: love those two words. I, I read something where you said those simplicity and clarity, and I remember thinking um, you would have made a great rugby coach because we when we have meetings, and people find this really surprising, I'm glad you've said it, We had once a team meeting with a new set of coaches and it went for about 25 minutes. And we had a really experienced um, head of analysis and he said to me, wow, that was too long. Boys can't absorb anything beyond 10 minutes. It has to be concise. I remember when I was presenting to the boys... If I was doing something on my niche role or aspect of the game, they say, you've got three minutes, Sam, to present. Three minutes. And I'd have to sum up the team we're playing against in three minutes. Otherwise, it's just, it's too much. So I absolutely, I I love that. And I haven't heard too many people say about, because people think, well, no, you have to. You have to cover all the bases. And I think that's where a lot of coaches and captains get it wrong. You have to have a bit of trust in your players. You can't cover absolutely everything. So I I love you say
2: that because I think that's so important. People certainly over-egg, Over at their meetings, I got a lot of that too. You know, I had Alex Ferguson, who I conversed a bit with over the two-year period that I was captain. Sam and I asked him to come and speak to the team on the Tuesday night and you know rather than think him saying yeah sure i'll come and speak he said okay i'll come and speak on two conditions first of all there's no publicity about it i don't want everybody to know that i'm going to be there it's going to leak out afterwards that's fine but before that don't tell anybody i said that's that's easy no problem and the second thing is he said you tell me what messages you want to get to the team this is you're the captain Uh, You tell me the ideas that you're going to be speaking to the team about and let me come in with some football stories on the back of that. So I wrote him down, you know, three or four of the main principles that we were coming in with and, you know, what I wanted him to talk about. And that's what he did. And, And rather than come in and saying, this is what you have to do, you must do this, you have to do that, he came in and he told stories. But the stories had a point to it. You know, again, it was simplicity. It wasn't rocket science. Felix Ferguson doesn't talk in in rocket science or or in, uh, you know, round and round and round in circles. You know, it's very precise and it's normally a story and it comes with a lot of emotion. That croaky Scottish voice that he has—it uh, it certainly sticks. Uh, you know, everybody in the room was a was a football fan, and and a couple of them knew that it was going to be Alex Ferguson coming in, but a lot of them didn't. So uh, him walking into our into our team room was uh, was great, and uh, he got the messages across that we wanted in a very simple and clear fashion. I love that. When well, you said there was like three or four points, can you remember what they were? Well, just the points we talked about here um, about fun, and um, that was the main yeah. one. Um, another one that you know certainly I played, and as I say, the three Ryder right Cups I played in. I was kind of six to twelve in the team. I was not, you know, I was never a Rory McIlroy or a Monty or guys like that. You know, I was always the guy that kind of played three matches out of five, and I was a six to twelve player. But it's it's important. Those six to twelve players are really really important because there will be a time during the week when it's their turn to shine. So what I wanted them to do was, you know, not just speak to the Rory McIlroys in the team and the Sergio Garcias in the team. You got to speak to the Stephen Gallagher's and because I was that soldier, the guy down at bottom, and it's very important. To, for those guys not to feel like they're second rate so you know something along the lines of you know everybody's going to have you know a time to shine you know I had that in 2002 when you know what? From from being you know at 11 on the team, you know I I ended up having a putt to put win the winner right a cup, and it was my turn to shine. And so he came in and he told a story about uh, about Canadian geese and how they fly, you know, thousands and thousands of miles across the Atlantic, and they always fly in a V. And when the one at the front gets tired, he goes back, and another one goes to the front, another one, you know, like like a peloton as well too in cycling. So those kind of stories were really poignant and cut right to th- to the point that I was trying to make about uh, you know there will be a time to shine. For everybody in the team, and a time when you do go to the front, and then a time when you when you retrace back. So it was that kind of stuff, and it was simplicity, and it was fun, and it was banter. And uh, he told a couple of stories about. Uh, about uh, dressing rooms and stuff like that and how much fun they had and the wind-ups that were going on behind the scenes. This is even before some big games, you know, and, you know, he wrote me a note afterwards and, and you know, he said, Paul, I just want to really thank you for for inviting me in there. It was great to be back in the boiler room again. That's the term yeah. that he used, the boiler room, which, you know, uh, which is a very interesting term that he used and, and uh, you know, underneath the floorboards in the team. That's where the real magic happens. When you say um, fun, do, do you mean on the golf course or off the golf course? Uh, I, I think on the golf course, that word adventure, I used the word adventure. That, that to me was fun. You know, yeah. we're on a voyage here. We got we got thousands and thousands of people. You know, like one of the things I used to hate, Sam, and, and I still do to this day, and ex-players are the best at doing it, uh, is talking about how fearful you are in the first tee and how scary it is in the first tee. And ex-players who've been through it all and retired they're the best at telling you how scared they were. And I, it's like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want anybody talking about that. The first <laughs> yeah. tee is an amazing place to be on. We're playing at home. You're going to stand in that tee. And there's going to be 20,000 people around that tee. And every single one of them is going to want you to rip it down the middle of that fairway. So when it all goes quiet and you're addressing the ball, rather than thinking, oh, my God, I hope I make contact. Oh, my God, I'm so nervous. I just want to get it off the tee. Think, no, I'm going to smash this down the middle of the fairway. And when I do, listen for the roar. The roar, the place is going to be electric. Same when you have a putt. You know, when you've got an eight foot putt or a six foot putt for a half and it all goes quiet, embrace the moment. Just can't wait to hit that putt because, you know, you've got the power of 20,000 people around that green in your hands something came into my head when I played and, and I kind of brought that forward. And I remember I had it on the 16th green in the Belfry in my first Ryder Cup match. And I was playing with Darren Clark and came to the 16th hole for the last game on the course. And I had a six-footer for Birdie on the 16th hole to go all square in our game. And I'm incredibly nervous. Of course, I'm nervous. and your, your stomach is turning upside down But and it's 10 deep around the green. And as I was addressing it, something came into my head to say, Paul, this place is going to go ballistic if you can make this pot. and standing over over the pot rather than thinking oh my god I hope I don't let them down I felt empowered it's like I can't wait I can't wait to see the reaction and of course I'm hitting the putt with with such positive adrenaline then and and, you know positive energy and you know the minute I hit it it was in the hole and and then then of course the whole place erupts and then I get caught up in their emotion as well too so kind of riding riding the back of the crowd that's really really important certainly playing at home uh, which we were doing and and that's when I talk about fun and then off the fun is the same banter you would have I'm sure in dressing rooms and rugby you know it's the it's the bit of crack it's a bit of banter the caddies are really important for that so so that energy was really important again keep going back to this word energy and it was really important to keep the vibe up to keep that that up you know and then you know you don't want to be flippant in any way absolutely not and I I remember in um on a Saturday night just on the opposite side now where I was worried about that that as you said earlier there's a precipice that goes over and we, we had a four-point lead going into the singles on Saturday and I did my team meeting 10 minutes and I was strong. It was about being resilient. It was about we will be the rock when the storm comes. It's going to be difficult tomorrow. America are going to come at us. There's a lot of kick left in the American team. We, we've only one where to go from here. We're expected to win. Now all of a sudden, you know, there's going to be a different kind of pressure on us tomorrow. We're going to deal with that. We're going to still play with a smile on our face. And our goal tomorrow was to win the session. You know, forget about winning to write a copy, it was to win the session. If we won the session, we'd win by four points. And we were, you know, we'd won every session and winning every session was, was what we were trying to do. Uh, and I felt I would have a really good team meeting. But as the players were f- filing out and I was standing by my podium, I remember turning to Des Smith, one of the, my vice captains, and said, I don't know if I got that message through because there was still a lot of banter. There was a lot of laughing. Now, after me really putting the hammer down and bringing everybody down and trying to get them focused, they didn't leave the room in a quiet manner. It was still very, very giddy. So what I did was I went down to the team room where they were all, you know, hanging out, you know, playing table tennis or somewhere having some food, whatever. And I went through each one of the 12 players and set them down in the corner and refocused them all individually because I didn't feel that I got it. I got it right at the team meeting uh, and I wanted to. Absolutely, bring it down. It was all a little bit too giddy. Things had gone too well, and that was the time to pull it back a bit.
1: It sounds like an amazing environment to be part of. I actually love what you said about harnessing the crowd and being excited for the good thing that's going to happen. I, I remember the last game I played. That, we were playing in a, in a penultimate game to win a series, and which was for, which was for the British and Irish Lions. i Remember saying, "Don't be worried about what's going to go wrong." The carrot is that in two hours' time, we can come back in here as the single greatest Lions team of all time. Like, that's, that's what we've got to grab. Like, let's mm. go get it, you know? And then mm. on a continuum, you go from that nervous energy, all like you kind of go up to, towards excitement, and it's so much more powerful when you can do that. And there was a... One of my questions was going to be, and I wanted to take you to that 2002 putt, because when I'm on the golf course or, you know, just as mere mortals and we're, we're playing locally... In my mind, you, you might say it's completely wrong. I'll walk up to that and I'll think, right, if this was in my lounge, I would probably get nine out of ten of these. But I'm on a golf course, I'm probably going to miss it. What, what? As an elite athlete, what are you like? From the moment you take that, whether it's an approach shot and you know it's within good putting range, what are you thinking in those moments?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it comes and goes. It's not steady, you know, and there's been moments in my career when I have faltered under pressure and the pressure got to me and I didn't have the right mindset and missed puts or misshots shots as a result. And, you know, but I, I was lucky in that instance that I was in an unbelievably great mindset. And again, I've put that a lot down to the captain, Sam. And, and there's a little story before I hit that putt, remember, as I hit my second shot, which is a really poor one, by the way, I hit a big pull left of that green with a three iron. Okay, it's not the easiest shot in, the, in golf, that's for sure, a three iron into the 18th green over water in the belfry with the Ryder <laughs> Cup on the line, but I, I pulled it way left. As I was walking up, kind of pretty intense about what I'd done, and God, what a bad shot, and you know, beat myself up a bit. Sam Torrance, who was the captain, was leaning, I remember he had, his, he had his sweater over his shoulder, and he was leaning up against the bridge with his arms folded like this, with this huge grin on his face. And it kind of disarmed me. He put his arm on my shoulder when he walked across the bridge. Remember, there's probably 30,000 people screaming at us as we walk up and screaming at me because we were playing at home. And and, uh, he put his arm on his shoulder and he said, look, this is why you're here. This is why you're playing in this number. And This is your turn to shine. And uh, do it for me. Do it for your teammates. And... When I walked away from Sam and across the other side of the bridge, rather than thinking, oh, my God, I hope I don't screw it up here, I felt the opposite. I felt incredibly empowered. Just the point that you made there, which is I love that story, which is that, you know, go and grab it. Um, you know, go and get it. I didn't know I was going to do it, but I knew that I was going to have fun trying to get it. Uh, and that's the how I entered it, uh, the chip and the putt. Uh, just give yourself a putt. Yeah, I'll get myself a decent chip from a bad lie, and I get myself a putt. And, and as I looked at the putt, it was almost like I didn't know I was going to hold it, But I knew I was going to hit a great pot. And that was good enough for me. And I wasn't afraid of missing. And the fact that I was going to stand up to the moment and the situation was enough for me psychologically. And, you know, if I'd have missed it, I don't think I would have been completely traumatized and devastated because I knew if I hit a good putt, I, you know what it's like in golf. Sometimes you can hit a perfect shot and it doesn't turn out good. But the fact that I knew I was going to hit a good putt, that's put me in a great mindset. And, you know, I, I hit, a, I hit a, a really pure putt. I couldn't have been any better and right into the middle of the hole. You know, I was a great Ryder Cup player because I had a brilliant teammates around me and I was led by brilliant captains. And what you do as a captain is you create a platform for players to play their best. You create an environment for them to go out and play unburdened. Uh, and that's what I tried to do as a captain because that's what the good captains did to me. And in that particular moment, the whole that winning pot Sam gave me the platform, he provided me the platform. Disarming of the intensity with this big bushy smile, the fact that he was loving this and he was loving the pressure and he was loving the fact that it was all on the line and he was loving the fact that it was me going to be in this situation. And he was loving the fact that you know he'd already done it earlier in his career and he knew what it was like to be able to uh, have an opportunity for it to happen. And it was basically embrace the moment, which which is what I did. And I've played my worst when I'm worried about the result or I've become too competitive. I have to win I have to win I have to do this Uh, I have to I have to I have to and all that does is invite and the pressure in so again it goes back to the point that you made earlier that precipice that getting that balance right of, of intensity nervous tension but not flipping over into anxiety